All right, good morning, River West. Good job on that greeting. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Guy. I'm one of the pastors here. And the uh, first thing I want to do this morning is I want to welcome home our uh, team that went to Myanmar for their ministry. And um, let's just thank them for that. Any who are here, Christopher's here. I know. Uh, I've heard reports that it was an amazing trip. And uh, we gathered at my house for prayer before the team left. And, um, you know, it was interesting because there was, there was a little bit of trepidation about this trip because, uh, you know, it's just, it's a lot, it's a long way to go and it's kind of a unique place. And so, uh, it's so cool to see how God used this group of people and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. You'll be hearing more as well. So I want to thank them for their service, but I also want to extend that thanks to you guys. And, uh, I really sincerely, I want to thank everyone at Riverwest Church who serves. I want to say thank you to the greeters who greet us, to the ushers who usher us, uh, to Brenton and the sound team back there who are amazing. Thank you, Brenton. You're awesome. Uh, those who serve in children's ministry, those who serve in student ministry, those who prepare meals on Sunday nights and other times during the week, those who go downtown, to partner with different ministries and just to go down and serve people. And the list goes on and on and on. And I really want to say thank you to all of you because your service actually means more than you realize. Your love expressed means far more than you probably are aware of. And it actually represents a miracle. And I want to talk about that miracle today. So you'll hear more about that. But first, if you need a Bible, raise your hand because you need to open the scriptures and uh, we'll be in 1 John. Raise your hand and Usher will bring you a Bible. When you get your Bible, go to the first letter of John, which is by the book of Revelation, towards the end of the Bible. This five-chapter letter we've been studying for some time now and it's been a great study. Two weeks ago, Pastor Adam preached a sermon on love from 1 John chapter 3. And during that sermon, he referenced the royal wedding, which had taken place the day before at Windsor Castle, St. George's Cathedral. Anybody been there? I've been there. How many people have been to Windsor? Okay, and did you go in and you looked at the cathedral there, St. George's? Okay, pretty amazing, pretty austere kind of a place. And Adam told us that the message, the sermon that was given during this wedding was really amazing. And somehow I think that Adam and Kathy were up at like four in the morning to witness this. And how many people here were up at four in the morning to witness this? Okay. All right. Well, we're learning all kinds of things this morning. That's kind of cool. I, however, was not. So I decided when Adam said this, I'm like, I'm going to go and thanks to YouTube, I'm going to watch this thing and, and to see. In the two weeks since this wedding and since this sermon was given, over a million people have viewed the sermon on YouTube. It's a million people. That, that's pretty amazing. There have been headlines like this. Bishop Michael Bruce Curry sermon steals the spotlight at the royal wedding. <laughs> I don't know how wise it is to steal a spotlight at the royal wedding, but I'm thinking not everybody was happy with that. The sermon was titled, at least one title that I saw, it was called The Power 
of love. And I want to tell you just a little bit about this message this morning as we get started. He began by quoting from the Song of Solomon a verse that goes like this. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Oh, and we have a, we have a graphic. Let's put that graphic up so you can get a, a picture of Bishop Curry. Okay, this guy was rocking the house, all right? So you got to imagine the voice. I can't do the voice. But set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, passion as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Song of Solomon. And I had to pause the thing. Okay, so I just hit pause. And I went, I cannot believe in 40 years of ministry, I have never used that verse in a wedding. How can this be? I turned to my wife and said, I can't believe it. That is the greatest verse and I've never used it. What's wrong with me? All right, that was my first. And then I, I hit, you know, play, and I found out more that was wrong with me, which is kind of cool. <laughs> so after that, um, the bishop spoke about the human experience of love and how powerful it is. He spoke about an experience that pretty much everyone in life has experienced or wants to experience, the power of love, and he talked about if you've ever fallen in love, you know the power of love. And the royal couple looked at each other and smiled. Their eyes were twinkling. People in the audience were smiling. It was kind of cool. And he went on. He said that the power of love is like a fire, and that fire can change the world. And he went on. Now, some people think he went too long. Uh, many of the royals thought that it was inappropriate for him to, A, be enthusiastic. <laughs> he was too enthusiastic. This was not proper. And B, he, he went too long. Okay. He should have just stopped with the power of love and the twinkle in the eye and all that, but he couldn't help himself. He went on. He was quoting Teilhard de Chardin, who is a French theologian philosopher, and he said, the harnessing of fire is what has propelled the world forward. It was the harnessing of fire that changed the world. And then he started riffing on it. And he said, you know, if you came here in a car, it's because somebody harnessed the power of fire. He said, if you flew here in an airplane, it's because somebody harnessed power of fire. Astronauts will go into outer space because someone harnessed the power of fire. And you get the idea. Now he's just riffing on this and it's just, it's growing and it's beautiful. And then he said, it's love like a fire that moves us in life. It's a beautiful thing. You know, he even slipped in a reference to the love of God through Christ. Talked about Jesus he used the word sacrifice, and he said, this, that's what love really is. It's the love of God in Christ. Now, some people faulted him for not saying more. They're like, you know, he just led us right to the edge of the gospel, but he didn't really unpack that. But I don't fault him at all. <laughs> not at all. He knew his audience. He knew where he was, who he was speaking to, what the context was. He understood. He led them 
in a direction. He got their attention. He got them to feel something. And then he pointed them to Jesus. And that's awesome. And that's exactly what he should have done. I just applaud his effort. It's super cool. He didn't dwell on the cross. He knew his audience. That's okay. Some people were not happy with his presentation. Some were horrified. I have another graphic. Can you see Elton John? Elton is not happy. <laughs> so the camera was sort of going around and panning and showing like the queen. Was the queen happy? Nah, not so much. There was like all this stuff was going on in the background, you know, and many people were sort of horrified by all of this, but most of the people were captivated as was most of the world. And hence, two weeks later, a million people have viewed the sermon on YouTube. It seems like the world can't get enough of the theme of love. We just can't get enough of it. We hear this theme. We hear it in our music. Pick the genre. It doesn't matter. You're going to hear about love. We read about it in books. We see it in movies. We hear of it in poetry. And even philosophers are getting into the act. I was checking out at New Seasons. New Seasons is an upscale market. So when you go out and they have the magazine rack, they have upscale magazines. Have you ever noticed that? They like sophisticated magazines at New Seasons. So I look over there and it was like the like Philosopher's Digest or something. It was right next to the candy. I'm like, really? <laughs> Philosopher's Digest? And so I'm looking at this and the title says, 10 philosophers explain the meaning of life. I'm like, awesome, I figured it out. So I picked it up while I was waiting, you know, for my turn in line, and I looked at it, and I expected some super deep, elaborate, philosophical argument, but instead it was like one page of like big words and big quotes. I guess that's kind of the way it goes these days. But it was interesting, out of 10 philosophers, almost all of them said exactly the same thing. They said something like this. Life has a meaning, question mark, ha ha. There is no meaning to life. But the best we can do is to love. Almost every one of them said, I don't know what the meaning of life is. Philosophy can't tell us the meaning of life. And there probably isn't a meaning to life. But we can love. I thought, that's amazing. Isn't that an amazing truth? I mean, we can't escape it. We can't get enough of it. It's everywhere. It is the human experience. It is the human longing. It's no wonder that the Apostle John keeps coming back to the theme of love over and over again in his letter. Have you noticed that? Have you been reading 1 John? Have you been listening to the sermons? It's love, 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 like over and over again in this letter. True, we've deviated a couple times. I spoke about the Antichrist in my last sermon. That's in 1 John. And then actually Adam had a passage that spoke of the end. Twice he appears in this letter of love, which is pretty interesting. But for the most part, the entire focus is on this theme of love. And so this morning, once again, our focus will be on love. And this is the way it's going to go. Our focus will be on the power of love in the community of Christ. All right, listen carefully to what I said. It's the power of love in the community of Christ. It's not the power of love in general. 
That's a little bit more what Bishop Curry was talking about. It's not the power of love just like in the world. It's not the power of love just in your heart or your own experience. It's the power of love in Christian community. And so we pick up in chapter 4 and in verse 7. And I'll read down to verse 12. Listen carefully. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Did you notice the word love in that passage? I think it's 13 times that it appears in those few verses. So I guess we know what our theme is, don't we? And there's a word at the beginning in verse 7 that gives us a clue into what John is thinking when he says these things. Or maybe I should say it's a clue as to who he is speaking to. Who is his audience when he says these things? And it is the word beloved. You see that word? It showed up twice. Beloved. The word love is in it. But it's an address. It's to a group of people. Beloved. Who is he talking to? It's evident that what John is doing is he's a pastor who's addressing a Christian community. Beloved, it's like an insider word. It's like a family word. You know, he's speaking to his family, like to his children. He calls them beloved. It's a clue that John knows his audience. His audience is not the entire world in this passage. His audience is the community of Christ. And what he is saying is, brothers and sisters, beloved, we need to focus more deeply on the theme of love. We need to know more fully the reality of love in our lives. Experience its power. Two weeks ago, Adam said, we need to keep learning how to love like Jesus. It was a pastoral word. He could have said, beloved, we need to keep learning how to love like Jesus. Don't assume that you have this figured out. Oh yeah, love, got it. Don't assume that you have it figured out. Don't assume that you can rush past this to another topic that might be of more interest to you. These are the words of John the Apostle at the end of his life in ministry. Now some people think that he was 
80 years old or 90 years old. I mean, the guy lived a long time. And so he's had a long time to think about his experience and about the gospel, about Jesus, about a lot of things. These are important words. And at the end of all of that, what does he want to talk about? He wants to talk about love, this theme of love, but not just any love, not just love in general. He wants to talk about love in the Christian community because he knows it's that vital. And I get it. I, I hear him. You know, my role now at the church, my, my title is pastor of leadership mentoring. Now, anytime you hear the word mentor, you should go old guy. <laughs> my title is leadership mentoring. So I'm the old guy, right? Apostle John was the old guy. And maybe if it doesn't mean exactly old guy, let's strike that, erase that from the tape. Um, let's think of it this way. Hopefully you've been around long enough, you've seen enough, I mean, you've learned enough that you have something to share with somebody else. If you, if you can look back through 40 years of ministry and you can quantify something and, and share it, what would be the most meaningful things? And that's what a mentor does. So if I get together with a young pastor, which I do all the time now, I'm meeting these young guys and church planters and it's super cool. The idea isn't just to sit on the other side of the table and then just to do like a brain dump, like an information dump, you know. Well, mentor, what do you have to say to me? 40 years of information and experiences and I got a story about that and this, blah, this happened. That's not the idea. The idea is that you distill something out of your experience, you distill something out of what you've learned, and you try to find those things that are the most important, the most valuable, and share that. That's what John is doing. And I get what he's saying. You know, it's like after all these years of ministry, I'm right there with him. How I wish that I had learned even at an earlier age the importance, the power of love in Christian community. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And, and it's actually more than amazing. It's actually a miracle. So let's listen. I'm going to share with you a few things about the power of love in Christian community. The first thing this morning is this. The power of love in Christian community begins with proclamation and it moves to demonstration. All right, I'm going to unpack that. It begins with proclamation, but it moves to demonstration. You know what that means? That means that the power of love in Christian community does not begin with us. It begins with God. It begins with the gospel. It begins with Jesus. That's the starting place. Now, Bishop Curry in his sermon was masterful. He did exactly what he should have done. He was not speaking to the community of Christ. He was speaking to the whole world. And he began with human experience. That's where he started. He, he began with the human experience of love. And it's something everybody in the room can go, I get that. I know that. I long for that. See, that's, that's where you start if you're in that setting. But Apostle John does not start with human experience. Instead, he starts with God. 
He starts with proclamation. He starts with the gospel. Let's go back in 1 John to the way it starts. First two verses, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I want you to see something. 1 John 1 and 2, here's where he starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that's Jesus, and the life was made manifest, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's how he starts. He doesn't start with human experience. He starts with God. He starts with Christ. He starts with the gospel. And what does he do with that? He says, we proclaim it. We start with proclamation. We start with what we've heard, with what you must hear, because that's the way this thing works. Now, what you'll find in this letter is that theme of proclamation comes over and over again. We're proclaiming to you things about Jesus. We're telling you. Even though you've heard it, says, I'm going to tell you again. So now if you go to our passage, go back to chapter 4. In verse 7, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. And in this the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his Son into the world that we might live through him. Now what is that? What is that verse? In this the love of God is made manifest. He sent his Son into the world. That's proclamation. It's proclamation. He's proclaiming. He's telling the gospel. To who? To Non-Christians? No, he's, he's speaking the gospel to the Christian community. Why? Because the theme of proclamation never ends. Like We need to hear the proclamation of what God has done in Christ over and over again because there's power in it. And that power, it's miracle power to show us something. What is it going to show us? You see what it says? Look at it carefully. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest. The word manifest means to become visible. It's made visible. It's something that you didn't see before, but now you see it. Oh, I see that. Remember what we just read in chapter 1? That which we've seen of the word of life, we proclaim to you. Because God has manifest something. He's made something visible to us. We've seen something that we never, ever could imagine seeing. See, that's where... It begins. But then something else goes on in this passage as well. The first theme is the proclamation of, of Christ, but the second theme is the demonstration of love in the community of Christ. And those two themes are woven together. Do you see it in the passage? Beloved, let us love one another. He's talking about love. He says, you guys, you've got to love and then he starts proclaiming. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He sent his son into the world. He went to the cross. That's what propitiation means. He died on the cross for our sins. He's proclaiming, proclaiming. And then when he gets done proclaiming, he turns again and he says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. 
You see, what John has done in his letter is he's weaving together a tapestry of gospel themes masterfully. Sometimes when people read the, God, or the, the letter of John, they get confused because they're like, why does he keep saying the same thing over and over again? Now, some of you are actually reading, which I highly recommend since we're studying it. And as you read, you're like, didn't he just say that? Didn't he say that in the last chapter? Now he's saying it again. And then he's going to say it again in the next chapter. Why does he have to keep saying the same thing? And the reason why is because he's weaving together some truths to paint a picture that we need to see. Can I show you something? I have a slide of a tapestry. That, my friends, is a tapestry. And if you pay attention, you'll see that there's a picture emerging coming up from the bottom. And you see there's just threads there. You see those threads, those weird-looking lines? Those are just threads. There's, I don't know how many different colors. Maybe there's four or five different colors of thread. Isn't it amazing what you can do if you weave just a few threads together in an artistic pattern? Weave a thread together. Weave a couple of threads together and suddenly you can see something that's in the mind of the artist. Suddenly you can see something that you never saw before. And all it is is the weaving of threads. You know what John does in this letter? He's weaving together a tapestry of gospel truths, bringing them, combining them, and two of the threads. These are two of the threads. One is proclamation of the gospel, what God has done in Christ, who Jesus is. And the other is demonstration, that is the community of Christ living in love. And those two themes are so intertwined, they cannot be separated or the whole thing begins to unravel. When those two things go together, a miracle happens. And that miracle is in verse 12. Take a look at it. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. Now, why would John say that? Isn't that an interesting thing to say? You know, as you read through the letter of John and you see these themes and you go, well, he's repeating himself. Yeah, but it's variations on a theme. It's kind of like Bach, you know? It's like variations on a theme. You get the theme going, and then he slips something in on you. you go, what? What's that? It's a variation on a theme. So here's what you do. You read the letter, and you go, this is about love. I get it. We've seen this before. But there's something here that, that we have not seen before. And you know what it is? He says, no one's ever seen God. Okay, pause. And then go, why is he saying this? What's he talking about? No one's ever seen God. But if we love each other, what's the implication? If we love each other, people will see God. They'll see God. But no one's ever seen God, but they will see God. It's a miracle. If people listen to the gospel proclaimed and the Holy Spirit confirming that in their heart, you know what's going to happen? They will see God in the gospel in Jesus, in that truth, they will see God. But if you weave together the power of the gospel proclaimed and with it, Christian community acting in love and you weave those together, no one's ever seen God, but you know what's going to happen? People are going to see God. That's my story. As an unbeliever, 
I did not see God. I didn't think anybody could see God. And I went to a place where I heard the gospel being proclaimed and preached and believed. And in the setting of a community of people that actually lived in Christian love. And a miracle happened. And that miracle was I saw God. I saw God. And it was a tapestry and it came together and I saw Jesus and I said, this is real. And it utterly changed my life. Isn't that a great miracle? That's the miracle that John's talking about. That's the miracle that happens at River West Church through the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word and the gospel and the love, you guys, your love, your service is changing the world. People are seeing God. And that is what we long for and what we're called to. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this love that we're called to, the power of Christian, the power of love in Christian community is about what we do. This is my second point for those of you who like points. It's about what we do. It's not just about what we feel or what we think or what we believe. It's important what we believe, of course, what we think, and even what we feel. It's all important. But the power of, of love in Christian community is not about those things. It's actually about what we do. That's the thing. And what we do must be defined by the gospel. Let me give you three things that we do. We take action, we sacrifice, and we forgive. We take action, we sacrifice, and we forgive. Now, those things are modeled on Jesus and the gospel because God is love. God is love. But no one has ever seen him. It's like, well, that's cool. He's love. But what does that look like? John 1.18. No one's ever seen God. But God, the only son, Jesus Christ, he has made him known. He has revealed him. It's in Christ that we see the face of God. It's in Christ that we know what it means that God is love. So what's the pattern then? What is that? And what does it mean for us? Three things. Take action, we sacrifice, and we forgive. Why am I saying that? 1 John 4, in verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. You know what the word manifest means? It means to become visible. In this the love of God became visible among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You know what God did? He took action. God saw a need and he moved towards it. He saw a need and he acted to meet that need. And the need was our salvation. We needed life. And so this becomes the model. This is the love of God. Love in Christian community is about what we do. I have a mentor, um, Dr. Gary Bashirs, who I've known for like 28 years and uh, started going to Western Seminary, took classes, we became friends, and we worked together at Western Seminary. I help him teach classes and that type of a thing. And he's an amazing guy. And uh, so the other day I was having breakfast with him and 
He's just so like given to ministry. He's 71 years old. I get tired just watching him. He never stops. You know, I get emails from him at five in the morning. I'm like, what are you doing? And so I asked him at breakfast. I said, Gary, I just have one quick question for you. Do you ever sleep? Do you ever go to sleep? Like, and, and I told him, I said, here's all the stuff I see you doing. Like, you're 71 years old. You do all this stuff. Like, I don't get it. Like, you just, what's the deal? And here, this is was his answer to me. He said, I'm an addict. I'm an addict. He said, I'm addicted to grace. I'm addicted to the grace of God. He says, I've seen the grace of God work in lives, in so many lives. And when I see it, it's the greatest thing in the world. He goes, I'm, I'm an addict. I'm just addicted to it, and I can't stop. You know? And it's, that's what drives him. You know, we have breakfast, and then he leaves, and he drives across town to go pray with somebody because somebody called him and said, you got to pray for this guy. I think he's possessed. You know, come over and help me. And Gary goes over and prays. He just goes, goes, goes. Why? Because he's addicted to grace. Now, the thing I love about Gary is that Gary's a doer. He takes action. He goes, you know. And I don't always know how he feels, but I always see what he does. And so I have a word for you. Love. As Bob Goff says, love does. Take action. Here's what we do in the Christian community. We see a need, which means you've got to pay attention, and then we step into it. We move towards it. We take action to meet a need in the lives of people around us. That's the love that is defined by the gospel of Christ. Last night, Marie and I sat down and I said, hey, let's talk about in our own life experience, the experience of Christian love. And like, when, when have you experienced Christian love in your life, the love of the community of Christ? And then we just had story after story, and Maureen said, oh, well, it was back, you know, Bill and Kathy Horn. When I graduated from high school and my parents moved far away, but I didn't want to move from my community, and so I had nowhere to go, and Bill and Kathy Horn took me in, and they let me live with them for the summer, and it changed my life. Oh, it was the Sealands. It was this couple that every Friday night, they opened their home for high school kids to come. And they cooked a dinner for them. And all these kids would come every Friday night. And a lot of those kids were just kind of nuts <laughs> and irritating. And they just loved them every single week. And we didn't even know how hard it was, but they just did it over and over and over again. And it changed my life. And I told stories about people who had met a need in my life and it always seemed to come back. To, it wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just, oh, I, I just person. I just felt their love. It wasn't that. It was like somebody saw a need and they did something. That's what he's talking about. Here's another dimension, sacrifice. Take action, sacrifice. And so we take action even though it's hard. That's the word sacrifice. Now, God sent his son into the world to be a propitiation, which is like a theological word, 
for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so it's a way of expressing the sacrifice of Christ. So if we're going to define Christian love, the love of God, who is love, if we want to see it, then we look at the cross. That's where we see it. In spades, at the cross of Christ. And the word is sacrifice. So if I can put these two qualities together, take action, I would say even though it's hard, even though it's painful, even though it costs something, even though it takes time, even though it's inconvenient, take action to meet needs. And you see, that's Christian love. That's, that's what God has called us to. So what does that look like in our lives? So many of you are doing that right now. You know, our team that went to Myanmar, um, it's a cool experience because it's Myanmar and it's kind of a, just a unique place to go. But you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to get there. It costs a lot of money. People are going on their own dime. I mean, they're just, they're taking time. They're leaving work. I mean, this is, you know, there's a cost to it. But it's amazing because it is the love of God in action. It really is. I mean, it makes visible something that needs to be seen. The last word is the word forgive. Forgive. Take action, sacrifice, forgive. Because isn't that what God did? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins because our sins needed to be forgiven all of which tells us that the love of God is going out to imperfect, sinful people, and that's part of the pattern. It's part of the paradigm. In Christian community, you can't love only the lovable. You can't love perfect people or there'd be no one to love. It doesn't work that way. Jesus died for us when we were without strength and dead in our sin, and he died for us. That's the model of Christian love. And so forgiveness is a crucial part of Christian love. Now, in the world, there may be a definition of love that, that doesn't take into account sin in any way. I don't remember Bishop Curry talking about sin. Actually, pretty sure he didn't. Um, because you just kind of don't go there. And in the world around us, there's this sense, well, there is no right and wrong. It's just your opinion against someone else's and who's to say what the rules are and all that type of thing. But that's not Christian love. Christian love doesn't exist in the absence of brokenness and sin in our world. God's love never denies the reality of sin, never ignores the reality of sin, but redeems it, goes to it with the redemption of Christ and forgiveness of Christ and brings healing where there is sin. That's the model. So if that's the model, what do we do? Here we are. You can't pick who you want to love and help meet their needs and sacrifice for based on your list of favorite people. Imagine if God did that with us. <laughs> what if you made a list of 10 people and you went, okay, I got to look for a need, but I really like this guy. This guy, not so much. Put him at the bottom of the list. Okay, I'm going to find something to do for this guy. You think God did that with you? Did God make a list of everybody and go, okay, these guys are at the top of the list. I'll do something for them. No way. That's called the grace of God. He comes to us in our lowest estate. And then he puts up with us. We're imperfect and sinful and he forgives. 
And now this is the love of Christ in the body of Christ. No wonder it's so powerful. I mean, this is powerful stuff. It really is. Forgive. And then the miracle happens and people actually see God. They see God. My last point is this. The life of Christian love is not an optional extra. It's not an optional extra in the Christian faith. You can't say, well, it's a pretty good sermon, Pastor, but I think I'll wait till next week and see what that one's about because maybe it's about Bible study. I love to study my Bible. Maybe it's about prayer. I love to pray. This is not an optional extra. There's a word in the text. It's a great word. Take a look at it. It's down here in chapter 4, in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ought to. This is two words. It's one word in the Greek. Ought to. It's not strong enough in the English. Have to would be better. It is the word that means it's an obligation. It's your responsibility. This is something you have to do. You're obligated to do this. There can be no other way about it in the Christian life. Think about it. Later in this chapter, he will say in chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's that theme, God being seen or not seen. It's a big deal. This isn't an option. We must love. These two things are intertwined. They can never be separated. The proclamation of the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and the call to live in Christian love. They just go together in a tapestry and the Lord is calling us to that. River West Church, the Lord is calling us to this. But it's not just a call. You know, when you read obligation, you're like, well, that sounds kind of negative. Yeah, but wait a minute. Did you hear the rest of it? This is, a, this is a miracle. I mean, we're not playing games here. This is something that can actually change the world. This is something where people can see God, but nobody's seen God. Yeah, but they can see God by the power of the Spirit. They can see God through what we do and what we proclaim. And I want to be a part of that. And so I say thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for loving. Thank you for meeting needs, not just for signing up for a ministry team, but for you just watching for needs and stepping in to meet them sacrificially and, and with forgiveness in your heart towards imperfect people. Thank you for that because God's going to open eyes and it's going to be amazing. Let's say a prayer as the worship team comes. Thank you so much, Lord, for this congregation and for the stories that we've already heard and experienced of this miracle, people starting to see God. And Lord, we also ask for your help because we know it's, it's not about just us, Lord, and our efforts and what we can do, but it's really about you. You go before us, Lord. And so fill our hearts to overflowing with a knowledge of Christ and the gospel. Fill us to overflowing with gratitude, Lord, and praise. And then, Lord, help us 
to become like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to sacrifice, to forgive like Jesus, Lord. Would you please, Lord, weave together an incredible tapestry of truth and love in this congregation that suddenly we look at it and there we see the face of God in the face of Jesus. Thank you for it, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.